welcome to another episode of Bobcast, episode 85. You got Live that many Live. already? I got that many already. Uh, very special guest here on the Bobcast. I had the privilege a couple of months ago of uh, producing and mixing his uh, solo album. I spent, I guess, well over, what, 15 years playing music with this man. Please welcome to the show, Larry Thomas Moore. Hey, thanks everybody. Good to be here. Real good. Good to see everybody here tonight, studio audience. Thank you. Everybody, calm down, please, please. We will sign autographs after. So, Tom, I was thinking the other night to myself, the first time we played together, it wasn't with Downtown Harvest, it was a, with another incarnation. Do you recall this band? Do you recall the musical players that were in this band? Uh, I think there was a Trainer Wilson in there. There was a Trainer Wilson in there. What instrument did Trainer play? He was a bass player. He was the bass player. Trainer James Wilson. I was the rhythm guitar player, you were the lead guitar player, and Chris Wood was... The drummer, and I think, what, we had two songs? We had Another Brick in the Wall, and I can't recall, yeah? Nah, but we got that one down. I think we had, like, two practices, but for some <laughs> reason the other day I was thinking, and I was just like, you know what? Two, was... two practices that uh, were an hour and a half of playing Another Brick in the Wall. Non-stop. We had some <laughs> angst back then, some teenage <laughs> angst, and that, that Pink Floyd really brought it out. We did. If I'm trying to get all raged and worked up and all hyped up, I listen to Pink Floyd. Yeah, when I want to go out and destroy things, you know what I mean? I like to put on the wall. Exactly. TJ did a good job in that band, I remember. I enjoyed playing music with him. TJ and I were in uh, a band back in the early 90s called <laughs> BJ and the Bobby Cats. And then we had another band called Velvet Vagina. Were, T- you, were, you, in, you. were you involved in any sort of incarnation, as you called it earlier, of Delta 9? Remember that? Yes, band? I was. I was in Delta 9 with Kevin Quinn, Brian Letterman. Craig Co- Cronmiller on Craig drums? Craig Cronmiller and uh, Mike Crickmore. Mike Crickmore, wow. Crickmore was uh, the bass player, yeah. and I played guitar. Letterman was the lead guitar player. Craig was the drummer. Kevin was the lead singer. Sounded like uh, you know Eddie Vedder meets uh, the dude from that band, uh, the Toadies. We did that song, Tyler. I think we covered that later. In our Me career. and Kevin did a U.S. government class project, and uh, we recorded all along the Watchtower. Me on acoustic, him singing. Then I went really? to CV, uh, CITV, and we put a little video together. Do you got a mix of that somewhere? Yeah, of course not. <sighs> God, that'd be golden. I don't even have pots and pans. Well, yeah, that's right. Um, so I think uh, we might as well just announce it here on the Bobcast that uh, Larry Thomas Moore is uh, moving here to Alabama, and that's why we're doing this podcast for, I guess, transparency reasons, you know? It's pretty, yeah. And it's a great chance for Tom to I th- say goodbye. I thought I was people. coming over to just to say goodbye, and then I realized there was dinner here, and I was like, sweet, that's a bonus. Then I found out I'm going to be on a Bobcast. Exactly. So now I need to get paid. Well, we'll talk about that later. So uh, I didn't see you, I guess, in high school. We graduated high school, didn't see you for a couple of years. I think I was like 20, so a couple of years passed. We meet each other, of all places, the college we both attended. And I, I, you finished, though. You finished. Yeah, but, yeah. I, I did. still think <laughs> I might go back. There's my diploma think, right there. I think I might go back. You can. I mean, how many credits you got, right? You got I have like no idea. 60 credits? I've, I should have two and a half years worth of credits, right? Two and a half years worth of credits is probably about... Let's see, one thirty to graduate. Yeah, you're up there, dude. You know. All right. What was your degree in? Uh, I was. I didn't even finish. I think my undergrad, but I was going for communications. Communications with Larry here in the box. Actually, you know, I went for two years, and then that that the this next semester, I injured an ankle, and uh, had to be off my feet for like two weeks, and just figured, you know, I'll just take a semester off and heal. And then I started working and didn't go back. Well, classic trap. Classic. <laughs> I uh, I run into you one day. 
down Temple University on the R6 platform. It's during the daytime. It's early morning. I think I'm, I'm going back. I don't know. I'm coming or going to Temple University. You were wearing a white shirt. You had just came from a party. You smelled like camel lights. And I said to you, I was like, hey, man, you want to you know, get together and jam again? And you were like, yeah, it sounds like a good idea, Bobby. And then I think the first incarnation of Downtown Harvest was Let me see with if I can my get old it. band. Yeah, go ahead. Well, how, you, how you, you, you wanted me story? to just come hang out one night because we hadn't seen each other in years. <laughs> like, I got this band. We just got a rehearsal, whatever, Friday night. Why don't you just come, you know, bring a guitar if you want, you know. Don't have to bring an amp or anything. Just come hang out. And uh, I played a little with you, and that happened. And uh, some of the other guys went their different ways. I hear they're doing great now. Yeah. Uh, not just in music, but life. In life, yeah. Uh, so we just basically just start jamming, and then I guess somehow or another, I was just like, the band I was in, Uncle Chester's Fever, we were doing stuff for, I guess, like a year or two. But I, I, more, I gravitated more towards the music, because for me, the first time, I mean, I knew Tom in high school. We knew each other growing up. We were friends. In fourth grade, and then I crossed them, and I think I ripped up a Bo Jackson poster. What did I do? You did, you did. I had a, I had a Bo Jackson locker poster. So it wasn't a normal size poster; it was a thin one oh, that would long, fit. Yes, the long thin one. <laughs> I remember, the long thin one that would You'd fit open up in the locker, locker, and he'd be in black and white, right? Bo Jackson. Yeah, man. Okay. And uh, you were mad at me about something, or we had a fight, and you ripped my Bo Jackson poster. So I found you and I punched you, and then we, it. and then we didn't talk for like. Th four years. <laughs> yeah, I remember distinctly when you punched me. You were also wearing an Umbro jacket. Uh, that sounds about right. I think it was the Redskins, maybe. No, no not the Redskins. I wouldn't have a Redskins. I don't know. I recall just like the shadow <laughs> jacket and getting knocked out <laughs> and being like, "Oh, you didn't." And I'll tell you, you didn't get knocked out. You just got knocked down because I just walked right up to you and punched you. Nobody sees that coming. That is true. So first um, and last time I ever did that to somebody. I'm afraid it won't go so well the next time. So you know, we let that go. We start jamming, and you know, I know Tom for a long time. I was like, you know what, Uncle Chester's Fever, I have to stop playing because I want to pursue something with Tom. Because I had seen you perform when I was underage drinking at South Street Blues with the legendary rest in peace, Courtney. Courtney Freeman. Courtney Freeman. And uh, I get into this club. Tom, you're up on a stage that looked at the time to me that it was like 20 feet in the air. <laughs> you're in the right corner. And you're just like following this guy, Courtney. He's calling out the four, the two, you know, the way. And like you were just all over it and you're shredding it. And I'm, I think it was with TJ. And I was like, damn, man, he's really good. So, of course, I always wanted to play with you. So, we start the band and then we uh, we contact Chris Woods because we jammed with uh, TJ back in the day with him. And then we start doing gigs. We what, did. Do you, what do you remember? Like the first Downtown Harvest gig? <sighs> what was it? Is it the Mansion House, I believe? The Mansion House. Yeah, Bob Haynes. Yeah. Gave us our first like chance to put on shows. Yeah. Bob Haynes a good dude. Uh, mm -hmm. He always helped us out. You know, we didn't bring... <laughs> he would always try to throw us a little money. You know, the more people we brought, the more money we would make, obviously. But uh, he gave us whatever he could, you know, especially if in the beginning. We weren't bringing all that many people out. We would bring 10, 15 people, mm -hmm. maybe. We were just interested to see what was going on, buy a couple drinks and leave. Yep. And so he was a good guy. Do you remember... Um, like we didn't even have a PA. We said we'd have to go to his house and pick up the PA. Yeah, yeah. In the garage. Yeah. So yeah, we did a couple shows there, and then we started, you know, tracking, you know, attention. I guess pretty early on, people start coming out to the shows, and then we moved. It was nice having a lot of, a lot of friends mm -hmm. that were eager to do things. I'm the type of friend that I don't want to do anything. You know, you mm -hmm. want to come over and hang out? I'll I'll make you dinner. Come on over. I don't want to go traipsing around. Yeah, there was, there's a lot of good people that helped <laughs> yeah, Mountain we, Harvest. And, absolutely. You know, 
we move into, I guess, um, we leave like playing the mansion house for a little bit. We start doing gigs at the general life it in. And I remember playing there. It was just being like, that was like, you know, at the time I was like, yeah, we made it. Cause I used to go there for Wednesday nights. <laughs> we made you know? it. We're done. I was like, oh, dude, we're on our way. You know what I mean? We're playing on the, the carpet. The I was room. just, uh, I was just worried about having to get up the next mornings and wheel concrete. Yeah. That was, that must've been a, a straight bitch. But yeah, we straight we did shows there, and the guy's name was Michael McGlynn. He owns lots of pro- or, excuse me, owned lots of property uh, down like the Mequon area, the General Lafayette Inn. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. He gave us our break, and he paid his fare. He was a good man. He would. I mean, at the time, we were getting paid, you know, a couple hundred bucks. It's like you know, we were kids. I mean, we're twenty two, but I mean, Christ, <laughs> this isn't this doing. isn't meant to be funny in a slight in any way or anything, but I just always thought it amusing when. Uh, he had promised us more money in the two gigs that after he had promised we didn't get it. And after the third one, I mean, he was pretty sick. And, yeah. you know, he was on his last leg, you know, yeah, no disrespect. Yeah. And you went to his house. And he had family visiting, you know, because they knew it was probably the last yeah. time they were going to see him. And you said to him, and said, look, I know you're going through a lot, and I'm really sorry, but we're not getting paid what you said we're going to get paid. You need to come up with some more money. <laughs> <laughs> I did do that. Yeah, yeah. You told me about it. You're like, I had to do it. And, you know, I might have embellished some parts, but whatever. It's a goddamn Bobcast, man. Yeah, it's true. I, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, we had a great time downtown Harvest. Then we add Frank Ewing. You want to talk about Frankie coming down? Frankie. Frankie would drive from Penn State just to play the gigs. Never learn a damn song we're doing. He might not have played with us in four weeks since the last time. We learned ten new songs, and he just breaks out of sex and j- just jumps right in, and he's absolutely fine, and it adds a lot to what we're doing. Yeah. You know, there was no grace period of, all right, now we got to get to see how Frank plays and then, you know, yeah. you know, get a, a rapport with him so it sounds good and it sounds tight. But he, he, just, just, always had it, yeah. he just jumped in. Then he yeah. started playing guitar. He would come down on the weekends, and I think we did that for about a year and a half. And then, well, once he started playing serious, you know, he was around, you know, almost every yeah. weekend. That's when he would start bringing his guitar and uh, start playing guitar on some songs. And then next thing you know, he's playing keyboard on songs and percussion. And you you think about it, and you're like, damn, he does a lot. The bird, you know? the bird, the bird on Alexander Hayes. Yeah. That but Frank Senior re- resurrected with his carpentry skills. What's uh let's take a listen to it here on the Bobcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the DTH broadcast Frank is sound. begins with 
Thomas Moore, we're chatting about Downtown Harvest. Uh, so, I guess it's 2003, in the fall time, I say to you guys, hey, you want to move to Los Angeles? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't really all about it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you said, hey, the, the band has come to a decision with it, and that basically meant where I just stayed out and then said, just tell me what you guys want to do, and I'll see what, what I think about it. <laughs> and now, we were a democracy, and we, were, we voted, all four of us, between Austin, Texas, Obviously, for obvious reasons, you know, Music City and then the L.A. route, which you had already knew some people in L.A. We could get gigs right away, you know, which we kind of did and uh, everything. But mm -hmm. uh, there was three votes for L.A. and one for Austin, Texas. And uh, I lost that one. Oh, yeah. You know what? I would have liked it if we went there, too. You know, ah, you, know you could have said you wish you would have gone to Austin. But, you know, we got out of We did our thing. We lived I was like, also working with brother and the DVD. At the oh, time absolutely. And, you know, no, yeah. No, and like you said, we, we knew people out there already. So it wasn't like we go out there and you were completely lost. You know, yeah, yeah, alone. We had a lot of people who took care of us and stuff. Yeah. Jay Maselli, uh, you want to tell everybody, should we talk about the infamous trip from Philadelphia to Los Angeles? The ride there? The ride there. Man, how many people listen to this Bobcast? Oh, I recall it. I remember we <laughs> we showed up with each had one check checked bag which had all of our clothes in it, and uh, I had a carry on and Frank had a carry on, and this is you know post nine eleven. This was two thousand and five. Yeah, you know when we were leaving. No, we moved, and it turned two thousand. I think I turned twenty four though. No, I, we came back two thousand six. Okay, so yeah, all right. So we left for the whole year of 2005. Okay, that makes sense. Um, but, I never uh, been good with math. When we were checking in, Frank had his check on or carry on. I had my carry on. His had an unopened bottle of Southern Comfort in it, and mine had an open three quarter bottle of Jack Daniels in it. And you guys gave that to me. Like, like I don't think I brought the whiskey. I didn't even want to bring liquor on the plane. <laughs> but, uh, we get there, and you know, what are you supposed to have? Two ounces of this, two ounces of that? Yeah. They pull us aside and they said, let's look in your bags or whatever. And we opened the bags and they looked at the bottle of liquor in his, they looked at the bottle of liquor in mine, and then they looked us both right in the eyes and said, all right, go ahead. Yeah, we couldn't believe us, it. And I thought they were going to take through. that, man. You know? Let us right through with it. So we get on the plane and we just start drinking. I think we ordered like one real drink and then we started ordering just Cokes. <laughs> well, and what we realized into the, you know, 20 minutes into the four hour flight was the, the group of people, not the seats in front of us, but then a few seats in front of them was a, a wedding party, right? Yeah. They were all going there for a wedding and uh, there were some other people on the plane that were up and having a good time. And basically what happened on the plane was all the people who were trying to sleep all went to the front of the plane mm -hmm. and all the drinkers went to the back of the plane and we were just asking for Cokes and, you know, buying a beer or two every now and then, but just mixing the Cokes with the yeah, the, the bottles we had and then the, the flight attendants, it was all male flight attendants and they eventually right. came up to us and they're like, we know what you got back here. Like, look, 
if you guys just want Cokes, just go back there and get them. If you want beer, just go back there and get them. Like, we're not running a tab. Like, something about yeah. how it works, end of mm-hmm. shifts, whatever. They got to get rid of everything that's on there. I don't know how Way it works. To Vegas or something. But they gave us a boatload of free beer and Cokes to mix with the booze that we... <laughs> yeah, we got loaded. We uh, break out the acoustic guitar. Yeah, somebody had an acoustic. Yeah. It wasn't ours. Wasn't ours. Somebody on the plane, possibly in that wedding party, had one and knew that we were a band moving out there and went and got the acoustic guitar and Frankie serenaded everybody. So we arrive in Los Angeles. I carried Tom from the plane. You didn't carry me from the plane. You no, led I me. I led you. You led me I, by I remember, my shoulders. I remember you stole the pillows from the plane and you had them in your jacket. Because I didn't have any pillows. <laughs> I, know, I didn't have room for pillows. I had a, uh, I had a one suitcase full of clothes. You can't fit a pillow in there. Yeah, so we all we had was this, this, you know, shit on our backs. We shipped everything out in Chris Wood's van. Yeah, we packed his van full of all of our music equipment and then mm-hmm. put it on a train and shipped it out there. Yeah, and then Chris tried to put his mattress in there. Yeah, and they're like, you're not it. putting that in there. And we got fined money because it was way over the limit of the weight that was allowed to be, you know, transported. It was $250, hence the song Mission. I guess that's part of the lyrics, you know. He owes us 250 bucks now. Two and a half hundred bucks. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's so that's where it came from because we were without anything except the drum machine. We, we had the drum machine, wrote B.O.B. Was it what was the make of that thing? Yamaha, maybe? Yamaha DD5. DD5. That was the only music equipment we had for two weeks, right? Two weeks, we had none of our shit. I think we had just the clothes that we came out with, you know, like maybe we had a little bit of extra shit, you yeah. know, but everything was in that van. I had an envelope that had mm-hmm. 1400 bucks in it. And I didn't have a bank account. Oh, my God. So that's all I had. It was in the van? <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, okay, it was okay, on me okay, when yeah. it, on, in the plane. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, uh, what was us? So all of our equipment, too, is also being shipped over. And that took longer. You yeah. Know? We had that shipped from, like, a freight service to LAX. And I remember that took a long time. You so. know, maybe the van took two weeks. And then the equipment took, like, a week and a, mm-hmm. a week or so. I remember thinking to myself, like, fuck, did I make the right move bringing these guys out here? I was making coffee out of a... A pot, boiling water, you know, like... I could have been more receptive to it, I guess, but I, I had been there before, and I, I didn't like it when I was there. That's and I right. just told myself I wasn't going to like it when I go back, and I didn't, but it was hard, you know, uh, living in a, what was it, 500, squ- 500 square 500 foot? 500 square foot, yeah. 500 square feet with four dudes, no windows, got a little, uh, I mean, good ventilation, thank God. Uh, you know, you God, turn that fan. that fan. Remember that fan? Because <laughs> oh, it would get cold. I mean, it would be 90 degrees during the day. It would always and drop. That fan it would sh- always drop to 60 at night. Yeah. So you could cool that room off, mm-hmm. get fresh air in there. So it was never like a... And it also had like kind of like, you know, it would put you in... You couldn't hear nothing. Yeah. <laughs> couldn't hear the loud... <laughs> it was all you hear was... The loud-ass cars driving past. Exactly. And uh, yeah, we had some people... The like, other people who are rehearsing at 2 o'clock in the morning you know, on a yeah, weeknight. I forgot about that shit. You know, you hear people practicing because it's, it's a block of rehearsal studios and there's three of them you can live in and then 50 of them that people would play at all hours of the night. <laughs> we had neighbors upstairs. We hung out with them once in the course of that year out there because remember we went up there... And we got him into trouble. Because we got him drunk on the Yeah, we went, up, we went up for something. We had the bar or something. We just, we just saw him outside and started talking to Let's him. Let's have some beers. And we were already having a couple beers. So we're like, hey, why don't you drink this? Like, ah, oh, you know, I don't really drink all this that much, but I have this mead upstairs. So he brings, <laughs> oh his, God, we brings his mead out. <laughs> we kill the mead with him. We're giving him shots. It's like a Tuesday night. His girlfriend came home, and she was not happy. Pissed. She was not happy so at all. So angry at the world. And I don't think he was ever allowed to hang out with us ever, no. ever again. They would look the other way when we'd walk by. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we also had a, a neighbor friend who was also, a, I guess, in his own right, a living legend. Yeah, Chris. Uh, 
Chris Holmes? Chris Holmes from the band Wasp, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, big heavy metal band from the 1980s. Uh, this dude, your nails on this couch? Oh, yeah. <laughs> they leave them here? I'm sorry. You got some... I didn't think anybody was coming over, okay? this couch fingernails on this couch, man. Ain't fingernails, that's toenails. Oh, damn. Speaking of toenails, one time I was outside the disco house trimming my toenails, and I walked back in and stepped on Mickey from Pocket Dial's Crowbar. I got stuck uh, on my foot. Yeah, I remember that. Oh God, that hurt, dude. He kept like, it. He kept it in the middle of the floor, so we didn't lose it. He kept it right <laughs> at the front door in the middle of the floor. I literally took two step, like one step, and then the boom, and then I was on the crowbar. Well, since it was no windows, and it was like it got full sun in front all day. So yeah. when you're going from outside to inside, all the lights could be you on, but when nothing. you open the door, you see a dark black room. Just black, you know. Yeah. And then you walk in, and it takes you a minute to. And then you know we it takes a minute. We had the we had the, the down times, we had the up times. We also had Vern Graham from uh, Vern was our landlord and producer and producer of the first album. Um, when I first met Vern, I didn't know how to take him, you know. But quickly I realized, you know, like I didn't, I don't think I he was the first person I met. He's from there, right? Uh, doesn't he have ties in something Seattle? Because yeah. he was Vern, a Seahawks Vern fan. Text me, let me know. Yeah, Seahawks. Yeah, maybe he was from up there. I know he was a Seahawks fan, so maybe. But the place that we recorded the first album, the White Album, Concrete called, Park Studios. It's called Concrete Park Studios, which is no longer there. And it's gone. Um, it was just a tiny little shack. We called the shack. He was our landlord. He lived out back. He had some recording um, equipment, and we banged it out. I think what, a couple months, maybe. A couple months. But uh, we had a great time that. back there. I remember we used to get we used to get drunk, sit out back afterwards, and like you know. Vern became like a good friend of ours, dude. He did. Know? He did. He took us in. I think he. I think he might have been like around our age. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I remember it was a good. Had to have been four years after the fact when I saw him in a as an extra in a movie, and I still mm-hmm. had his phone number and called him. Vern, I should get your phone number again and call you. That's good. Vern's here in studio. You can't hear him because he doesn't have a microphone. Vern's got some music, I think, that he's putting out. Is he? I think the the first album though is just it's it's a classic. You know what I mean? We listened to mixes after mixes in his uh, Honda. He brought a new uh, car, and he had the factory speakers. Remember how much you didn't like <laughs> He went to get in the car over and over again? Oh, my God. It was a mess. And then uh, Frank invites one of his friends out. We got to talk about the oh. main man. Cupcake. Chee. Hua. Hua. Dave Hua. Dave Hua. Dave Hua comes out for a visit with Frank Ewing. They went to school together at Penn State. It's in the middle, I think, of the recording process, right? Yeah, yeah, we had already gotten going on it, and I knew Dave Hua because he grew up right around the corner from my house. So you and Dave are down, we're all down with him, he takes an interest in the band, and before you know it, Dave becomes our manager and invests in the first album, and the first album I think only would have came out with his help, you know? No, without a doubt, he 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 put some money down, my uncle, Jim Hansberry. Yeah, thank um, you, uh, Jim. For, mom and Dad, a, Mom and Dad yeah. was during the ESPYs. <laughs> yeah, oh, was it? Yeah, yeah it he was. took us. He took us for a couple steaks. I think. Yeah. I think Uncle Jim felt bad and thought we were living like animals. We were because he. Well, I mean, was, we were do, we were doing good, you know. I mean, yeah, we'd have some good days. I come home on Saturdays, and the rest of the fellows would be working all night at this restaurant called the Tam Tamo Shantry. Or something well, except like for me, I was construction. Yeah, you were off, but I I was always off on Saturdays too because I would work. I made my own schedule at Starbucks at one point, and I was just like, look, I'm just working. I think I worked. Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays, and my rent was just like two. Our rent was two hundred fifty bucks, I think, a person. Right? My my favorite thing to do mm-hmm. was if me and you got done work <laughs> early on a Friday, yeah. 
You know, it's not like <laughs> we wanted to drink or party or anything like that. It's like, let's just get really drunk for when Chris gets home because it pisses him off so much. (laughs) It's like, do you feel like drinking? Not really. I was thinking maybe doing something tomorrow. Screw it. Let's just get rip-roaring drunk so when Chris gets home, it just completely pisses him off. I don't know if you knew that, Chris. We'd be torched. Oh, torched. torched. The sun would still be up. (laughs) (laughs) The sun would still be... We'd still have another three hours of daylight left when he got home. I remember I used to get after... I think I used to work maybe Saturday morning. I don't know, but I used to pick up like that at that like that shopping center we used to go to. They used to have like filet mignons for like five dollars a fucking pop, dude. Yeah, it was wild. But yeah, we had a good time. We finished out the album, and then you know the decision was made for us to move back home. And uh, I don't know how that boat went, but uh, I'm pretty sure that I I didn't want to go. I liked it there, but we came back and we did lots of cool stuff. We start going to New York a lot. We start doing these bus tours. What do you remember of the bus tour? Wait, <laughs> wait, Arlene's Grocery, our white album CD release, is a bus tour, and we're calling it now. All well, the way up. I get. I just was told, hey, we rented a bus and we're selling tickets and taking people to the gig. I was like, what? Like, what kind of? Would you get a school bus? Like, yeah. Bus people are gonna have to pee. Like, that's not good. You know, like, no, we got a bus with a bathroom, the whole deal. And that's I think just, we charged like thirty bucks. We stocked it with beer. I think that was the gig we took other bands with us. I'm not sure, but I remember we got really drunk on the way up because it was just it was such a party atmosphere. We get to the gig, sound guy, as most sound guys are. Some are a different breed, but the most like for the most part, most of the sound people that we've dealt with, they got a really difficult job. They got to get people in and out, but they're total dicks. This guy in particular that night was a total dick. And I never forget. We're playing the show. We're having a great time. We're playing, I think, the whole album through from start to finish. And Tom, <laughs> this is the guy in the back all the way. He's like, see that guy back there? Let's all give it up for people doing their jobs. <laughs> it was awesome. I think there's a recording I mean, of it somewhere. There's got to be a recording. You don't really do that to the sound guy. I mean, he could he could take you down. He you could, know? but the way you said, it, like, you said it, you said it more like sincerely than like, you know, vehemently you were like give it up for him you know what I mean? like, but at the same time it was just because he i remember i think i was trying to be a dick <laughs> I, yeah, I think i was which is stupid to do the sound guy but i think a good thing he didn't see it that way i think i was trying to be an asshole from what i remember he was a total dick dude i mean how many people do we have to deal with that just didn't get like the process of you know playing live music people are always like can you turn it down like how do you how do i stop breathing you know what i mean like what am i supposed to do here but yeah we play those shows we do a bunch bunch of stuff we do a bunch of other bus tours and then we decided to record the second album we did it in milk boy with uh tim sunfield from uh town hall the golden dragon not to mention uh gang yeah he's gang. a big influence in gang one of my all-time favorite bands good stuff what do you remember about that all i remember is bringing panera stealing like 50 dollars worth of panera food from brian mcamee and uh bringing it to you guys in the afternoons i just remember working going into the studio then staying late then going home and Going back to concrete work the next day and then doing a, some more studio time, mm-hmm. you know. It was fun. It was, it was a, a nice album. relief release. Dave was a part of it. And then, you know, at this time, I mean, I guess we should really, you know, pay respect to our other manager. Yeah, he didn't die, did he? No, he's just Why still are we paying respect? Just for your you, made the, you made that sound all morbid, like we need to pay our respects. Well, to yeah. Mr. No Cadbury. Now, Mr. No Cadbury is alive and well. Over no, Kyle, Kyle Weldon. Oh, Kyle, Kyle, Is it with a D? 
Noel was our first manager, actually. I, I signed a deal with Noel with a handshake in front of a Thai food restaurant. He was a cool kid from Philadelphia who lived there before us. And, uh, you know, he took care of us. He did a good job, too. Like, as far as, like, the rock and roll aspect of it, setting things up, getting us in, you know? Yeah. He was a good guy. He uh, was a big influence in the, the recording of the second album. The thing I liked about the second album the most was the inside Chinese food menu. That was a great idea. That you can order from. That was a great idea. You know what I mean? I forget. How much did I cost? What was it? Do you remember your name? I don't remember my name either. Like what, what my, my name was something with a brown sauce guitar. Yeah. You know. I think I was Duck Sauce. We Duck. So then we do our uh, CD release party for that show. We do it with uh, Don McCluskey, um, Philadelphia Slick. What was the last band? Osa or the Heat Run maybe or Osa? I don't recall. I remember uh, that was a great evening. We it was almost sold out. Just some great video footage of it on uh, YouTube from George Morgan who used to film us all the time. No George Morgan. I think we did two encores that night. That was a good gig. We rehearsed a lot. For yeah, there were some good ones, you know? Yeah. You know, could have done things differently, I guess, and maybe yeah. we'd still be doing it, but, you know, what the hell? Had a good time doing it. That's true. So then, you know, we do that, and then we just do a bunch of general stuff. I think we did the, another one, and then we just, we pretty much hit a wall. The internet had caught up. People are downloading stuff for free. Music's not being purchased. We don't really have a clear goal of where we're going, and um, some things fell through. You know, we met with Atlantic Records, and we met with we were supposed to meet with the president in L.A. or something, but he canceled, and then we had to meet with these interns, and it, that was. <laughs> it went from being you're going to meet one of the executives at Atlantic Records to uh, in, Los oh, in Los Angeles to oh he can't make it, so uh, you you can just go to uh, New York and Studio B in and New York and see uh, some A and R guy. Who were like young kids who were like asking us how many people are at our shows and like, uh, but yeah, you know, it got to the point and then we decided, okay, maybe we need a new album. We do Discovering Dinosaurs and we recorded all of Frank's house here in Plymouth Meaning. Um, and a little at Monco. Yeah. yeah Frank was taking courses there, so he had to record a band. Maybe it's a conflict of interest. Maybe not. Yeah. I don't know how the school would look upon that if they knew he paid for that class just so he could record his band. Yeah. I'm sure they wouldn't care. Yeah, at this time, then, we start doing more shows around the area, and then, you know, I guess around 2010, it fizzled out. We yeah. stopped playing. Uh, Chris didn't want to play um, in the band no more, and we made the decision to make the announcement that we weren't going to play no more. Um, and then, I guess, we wait, what, we don't play together for a while. Three years? But you and I, we continue the career. We do uh, Ditto Demi, which was a fun little country band. Yeah. You, mostly some of your original songs that you were doing on the Dobro at the time. Dobro, Dobrini. You know what I'm saying? The Dobroni. And then we got back together. We did a gig at Whole Foods last summer, and I guess that will be, I guess, our, our last gig, you know. Um, I think our legacy will be Whole Foods. <laughs> you will not be able to buy fresh, organic produce without thinking of crunchy rock tunes. <laughs> <laughs> you won't be able to purchase these kale chips unless you're thinking about the harvest. How much are these kale chips? You ever heard downtown harvest? Crunch. But yeah, people still come up to me today. They say things about the Downtown Harvest and how much they enjoyed the band. And, you know, we enjoyed the band, too. Makes it all worth it, Bob. Makes it all, Makes worth, it all it, worth it. You know, just, man, that's nice. So, I mean, I guess that is the story of the Downtown Harvest. Uh, for Larry here, he's uh, about to, you know, saddle up and head on down to Alabama. Moving to Alabama. Living on a farm. Tell, tell me about uh, what, what you're doing down there. I'm going to go down, live on a farm, help my dad work on a farm. 
find some work, you know, on the side. I've been plumbing for four years. See, see if they need any help in that department down there with their plumbing. Mm-hmm. I'd like to try to get a job on the golf course. That'd be nice. Just cut some grass, you know, four days a week, something like that, and then work on the farm the rest of the time. It'd be lovely. Anything you got to say out there to the people who uh, you're not going to get a chance to say goodbye to? Yeah. I'm in Alabama. Phone number's the same. If you got it, use it. <laughs> uh, so I'll, I'll be there. All right. Well, if you want to call Lara up, his number's still the same. Uh, in my phone, <laughs> Again, that is the same. <laughs> LTM Moore, uh, it's been a pleasure being your friend for, you know... Over 25 and since years. I'm, since yeah. I'm moving, it's over. We're done. Yeah, it's we're done. Uh, we're making the announcement here. Yeah. yeah, I thought the band breakup was hard. Now that we're not friends anymore. No, no, no. It's, going it's surprisingly <laughs> easy. We're actually taking things back to the moment that Bo Jackson's poster was ripped Yeah. here on the Bobcast. But no, all kidding aside, though, thank you for uh, you know all your creativity, all your music over the years, uh, all the fun we had, and all the people that we inspired along the way uh, to become fans, friends, and uh, lovers. Thank you very much. This has been another episode of Bobcast. Bobcast. Hoo, hoo.